Hello and welcome to the Project Pelvic Health Podcast. Before we start, I'd like to tell you a little bit more about the eight-week postpartum program. It's for moms with a baby two years old or younger who want to recover and get back to things they were doing pre-baby. We work through things like leaking, prolapse, incontinence, etc. We help moms to get their lives back. If you're interested in learning more and want to see if working with us will be a good fit for you, send an email to erica at villagefpt.com or visit villagefpt.com. The link will also be in the show notes. Hey friends, welcome back to the Project Pelvic Health Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Erica Glani, and I'm a pelvic floor and orthopedic physical therapist passionate about educating women of all ages about all things pelvic health. I'm really excited to share with you the conversation that I had with Christian Lawson. She's the founder of Kindred Birth Collaborative, has been a doula for 11 years, and has been teaching childbirth education and VBAC success courses for eight years. She shares her heart behind the company, what she believes pregnancy, labor, and delivery should look like for mamas, and some really helpful tips for any mamas out there who are expecting. I'm so thankful for her knowledge and the time that she took to come on the podcast. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hey, Christian. Thanks so much for joining me today. Yes. Thanks for having me, Erica. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So I would love to just start off with having you share a little bit about yourself and your background and what led you to pursue becoming a doula. Yes, I would love to. So it all starts way back when. I feel like there should be kind of like some lovely lilting music that, you know, makes you think you're being transported back in time. Um, but my husband and I, we met, um, our senior year of high school at a church, like winter retreat. And, um, that fall I started attending school, um, in Riverside at Cal Baptist and we started dating. So we were dating for six months or engaged for four and then accidentally got pregnant three months later. And (laughs) yeah, (laughs) so fast track, um, that kind of sent me like just full into this whole new world that I wasn't ready to experience about birth. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know anyone else who really that was pregnant at the time. Um, we were the first of our friends to get married and to be pregnant. So I found the one other person that I knew of that was pregnant and she was a few months ahead of me. Um, and I just wanted to pick her brain because I'd had a really bad OB experience and mm. I thought like I was just cold and sterile and I just felt uncared for. And I thought I need to find out who her doctor is because I don't want to go back where I was. And, um, she said, well, I'm not seeing an OB. I have a midwife and I'm going to give birth at home and you should come over and watch this documentary with me. And I was thinking this whole time, I'm thinking that's not legal, but I know no one else is pregnant. So I'll come over and watch this documentary with you. And she like, you know, kind of took me under her wing and we watched this documentary, The Business of Being Born. Mm. And I just started having all these light bulb moments. And I thought this, like, there is a different way and I want that. So I called a midwife and she said, you want to tour the birth center? And I said, no, thank you. I'd like to set up my first appointment. Like, this is what I'm doing. (laughs) I'm good. Um, And so I thought like, smooth sailing. Like, this is going to be great. Like I'm giving birth in this lovely environment that feels like a spa. Um, but turns out even if you're being treated wonderfully, you still actually have to push the baby out of your body. So yes, there's still that that has to happen. Yes. 
So it was so difficult. It was such a wonderful experience, but it was so difficult. And um, I thought, gosh, like there has to be like a better way. Like I thought I did all the things. We took this, my husband and I took these like hypno baby classes and he would like fall asleep every time she would start doing the relaxation exercises. He would fall asleep. So I was like, well, he's out. <laughs> like, yeah. it's up to me. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I guess it worked really well for him, but not for me. And yeah. so um, I just started reflecting on my experience. And even though it wasn't traumatic like a lot of women experience in the birth room, it was still so difficult. And there were so many tools that I was missing in order to really be able to support my body to deliver in less discomfort. And so one of my friends was hosting a, um, someone who was doing a doula training and she was trying to fill the class. And so she reached out to me and I thought, well, if all my hippie friends are doing it, like, why not? (laughs) Yeah. Um, and from that moment on, it was just like, I could just see like before me, like, this is what I want to do. I want to help people have a better experience, no matter where they're at in their birth journey or what type of experience they're wanting to have, hospital, home birth, birth center, like Mm. people need support and they need people who understand what is happening with their body. Um, And as much as I love my husband and most women love their husbands, they don't understand what's going on. And I think Mm. the more babies you have, the more experience they'll get with that. But really to for someone to see like, oh, you look like your baby's sunny side up. Like, we should do something about that. Like, most mm-hmm. of the time, like, like husbands and partners are going to miss that, you know? Mm-hmm. So I just wanted mm-hmm. to be that, like, missing piece for people. Yeah, yeah. I love that. That's beautiful. Um, so you've been working as a doula. And then more recently, Kindred mm-hmm. is fairly new. Is that mm-hmm. right? Yeah. 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 So you founded Kindred Birth Collective. Um, what was your heart behind starting that company? Um, was that always something that you thought you were going to do? Is that Was that kind of out of left field? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I became a doula and then a few years later realized that my clients were kind of looking to me to be kind of this missing piece like I was wanting for myself. And I realized I wasn't doing a good job at equipping them for their birth experience. And so hmm. I created a childbirth education class that I had my clients take. And so I was teaching classes for several years. And then I actually started to feel really, really close to burning out, which as hmm. I started researching and doing stuff, the average burnout rate for a doula is two years. And so I realized, wow, yeah, <laughs> that's not very long. <laughs> no, it's not. And I think what happens is people, you know, get into this field because they're passionate, not because like, you know, it's going to make a lot of money. I should be a doula, you know, like it's not this business venture for most people. It's really comes out of a heart and a desire, desire to serve. And so I thought, gosh, I wish like, like I was feeling close to burnout, which I was definitely past the two year mark. But I think what was happening and I think what happens to a lot of doulas is they over deliver and they undercharge. And so when you're on call, when you're up all night, when you're missing out on events and parties and family life, it gets really taxing. And if you're not running it like a business, then you're not even like, I wasn't even calculating my overhead. And so I was getting really close to burning out. And at the same time, my husband um, started his own company, 
So I'm like watching him over here and we're discussing things. And I'm like, oh, that's an emotional decision. You shouldn't make an emotional decision. As I'm like, of course I'll do your birth for free. I love you. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, I'm making emotional decisions. Um, and so I started implementing some different frameworks like in the business side of things. And I grew my income by five times in one year. And I really wow. didn't change a whole lot. And so I thought, okay, like this, this is significant. If doulas are burning out, I'm close to burnout. I made these changes. I want to help other birth professionals. So my original goal with starting Kindred was to create a space that trained doulas holistically, like so they can help postpartum, like the immediate hours postpartum so that they can help moms breastfeed easily so that they know how to run a sustainable business at whatever pace they can run. Like a lot of mm -hmm. doulas are also moms not working full time. Some, mm -hmm. this is their main gig, like whatever like ability that they have to run and whatever pace they have to run at. I wanted it to be, um, I wanted to provide training that would help sustain doulas. And mm -hmm. so the end in um, 2019, I was collaborating with other birth professionals. We're having these brainstorm sessions and kind of the vision for, for Kindred was born. And my goal was to launch January 2020, but things just weren't in place. And so um, we just kind of kept pushing the launch date off. Like I found a team, like I had a, I have a postpartum specialist that works with me, a lactation specialist that works with me. So we could really provide mm -hmm. that full spectrum training to other birth professionals and we launched March, March 6th, 2020. <laughs> that sounds like a really familiar date. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, I remember no. that Friday I went out to the mission in with my friends or having dinner and I was like, 2020 is going to be the year. Like, woo. Yeah. like I just like poured all this business profit from the year before into starting this and that like Monday, I think like yeah. everything shut down and yeah. I thought, oh my gosh, this is a bad idea. Like doulas yeah. were not allowed in hospitals. Like, so I was contending with like, well, these people don't really know they need business training one, but now they have no income to even pay for the training that I'm wanting to provide. And then all of a sudden we saw this huge need for, for women who were like being told, you can't hold your baby after birth. Your husband can't be with you. You're going to be alone. Like, and you have to submit to testing or you have to submit to wearing a mask or, and, mm -hmm. and I mean, especially it feels like a dream like two years ago, but yeah. like, there was so much that was unknown and like so many women were scared. Um, yeah. and so we just, that very week, we just started hosting like free zoom classes, um, like childbirth mm. classes, postpartum stuff, breastfeeding. Um, I had a friend of mine who encapsulates, um, placentas with mommy made, um, encapsulation. She joined us for a free class. Like we were just, how do we get information out to people? And, um, that kind of was like our launch pad and, um, mm -hmm. I do feel like the whole year we were just kind of pivoting. So we kind of have two wings of Kindred now. We have our like birth, mm -hmm. birth professional stuff that we provide, like business training, mentorship, certification for doulas. And then we have our services that we provide for families. So we have childbirth education courses, VBAC support courses, 
breastfeeding, um, going back to work classes and pumping, um, postpartum classes. And um, we host free monthly talks where we, mm-hmm. we want to, um, we call it girl talk, but we just want to have a space to talk about things that no one else is really talking about. So we've hosted mm-hmm. like sex talks and periods, hormones. You joined us for public floor. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Loved it. Um, so yeah, it definitely was, it felt like an entire two years of where I kind of joked that I felt like a ballerina because of how often we pivoted. I felt like I was just spinning in circles. Uh Um, but it's really cool to see where, where it's gone, uh, started and where, where it's at now. I think it's really neat too, that you had, you had a vision for it and then all of the other doors that were opened, even though that wasn't your original plan, but how you were still able to keep with your original vision and then just keep adding on as you saw different needs. I feel like a lot of the time with businesses that takes a while to like add on other components, but I feel like for you that happened really quickly and the fact that it's stuck just speaks even more to the fact that there's so much need for your services. Yes, for sure. Um, can you talk a little bit about who you work with? So obviously you work with pregnant women, Um, but do you also work with postpartum women and what does that kind of look like? Yeah. So our postpartum practitioner, she is trained in traditional modalities. So she, um, really focuses on going back to like, how did we do it when we were in the village? And, you know, we all, all three of us think like, we should not be paid for what we do. Like all the aunties and cousins and sisters and mamas should know all this information and they should be able to pour richly back into their own families and communities. And so I think that's Natalie's heart is to really like see not just, you know, how can I hold the mom, the baby so mom can shower, but like, how do we help heal her body from this big, you know, trauma that she's just gone through and as you know, her organs are displaced and she's bleeding and leaking and tired and probably not feeling very cute at the moment, you know, like, Mm -hmm. um, how do we pamper her and make her feel really, really special? So she works, um, one-on-one with her clients and gets to know them before. So there's established relationship and then she just makes them feel so good postpartum. She makes them nourishing Mm -hmm. meals. She'll give them this wonderful herbal bath, comb their hair and braid it and um, give them like womb massages and do belly binding and a lot of stuff that really lifts their spirits, energizes them, and kind of helps put them back together. Um, But then she also trains alongside that process. She trains like dad, mom, sister, whoever's going to be there supporting when she leaves, like what she needs, what nourishing meals she should have. And, um, really provides a much different postpartum experience than I think a lot of people get. It's kind of like, okay, you've had your baby, now take them home and figure it out, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, which is daunting, even if it's not your first child. Probably even more daunting if it's not your first child because you have to care for other children. Yeah. Yeah, I know, at least from my experience, that's like the majority of the patients who I see, regardless of how far out they are postpartum, it was like, they didn't have that time to care for themselves and they didn't know how to care for themselves because they were caring for a newborn. Yes. Them. And so that's really unique. I really love that. Yeah. And I think that is a constant struggle of moms 
of every stage, it's really hard to care for ourselves. And the, the thing that's so interesting about the postpartum period is that so much healing takes place in those first few weeks mm-hmm. after birth that there are people who, if they're properly nourished and taking care of themselves because the body's in such a regenerative state, actually find a ton of healing in other areas. So people who've had allergies, yeah. they may go away or chronic health issues are totally gone postpartum. And so We really want to focus a lot of energy on helping moms understand how important it is that even if you feel fine on the outside, that you still have a giant wound on the inside that's trying to heal. And so it's really hard to keep busy moms down though. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But if there are people there that are providing meals, that are keeping the house tidy, those are taking things off of mom's plate where she doesn't have to think about it. It's so much easier to just focus on resting and feeding baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, love that. Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit about what are some of the biggest gaps that you see in prenatal and then postpartum care with the women who are about working with you or who take some of your online courses? What, are, what patterns have you seen? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is women don't understand truly understand informed consent and what their rights are. Um, And that was a big thing we were seeing when we first launched over COVID was there were a lot of unknowns and a lot of things happening. And then all of a sudden, all these rules are being thrown at people and they think, well, I just need to comply. I just need to do this or I have to do that. Or, Mm -hmm. um, and it's kind of that, you know, white coat, like psychological, um, like problem that we've seen over time is that people just, think like, well, they're the doctor, they're in charge, they know best, which I think most doctors really do care for their patients and work really hard to make sure that their patients have the best. Um, But a lot of times things get passed down um, just because of tradition and it's, this is how it's always done. And you'll see how tradition will carry on years past things being in textbooks or taught in the classroom. And so, um, for example, they used to believe that the placenta, um, that baby couldn't breathe with their lungs until the placenta um, was detached. And so they believed you had to keep the placenta below baby. So that's why, you know, all the movies, they hold the baby up really high Mm -hmm. and they would Mm -hmm. cut the cord immediately because that's what initiated the baby to use their lungs. And that practice took place almost 50 years after that was no longer in textbooks and being taught but it's tradition. It's that hands-on experience that you're getting. And so I think sometimes things are done because it's just how it's always done and people don't actually know what their rights are. So I'm really passionate about helping people understand their rights. You actually have a patient bill of rights, which is all the laws that have been compiled. Um, each state has them of what your medical rights are, what you can and can't consent to and what you should be informed about. Um, And so just being able to help train and equip them to be able to ask questions without, you know, coming in with this questioning spirit, like they know what's best, but really truly trying to understand the care they're about to receive, um, I think is huge. And I think some of what plays a part of that is that I think culturally the, the way we perceive birth has really changed. We've Mm -hmm. no longer in, in children in general, like you know, we don't often in our culture view children as blessings um, and that this like birth experience is like a sacred act of worship, but it's turned into this medical inconvenience and we need to get you in and we need to get you out. 
And that's really, I think, stripped a lot of the value from the birth experience. And it really is such an intimate experience that's become so clinical through the years. And so Mm -hmm. my goal is to really help families understand how intimate that experience is, what's happening when oxytocin, the love hormone is being produced in your body and why you need to guard and protect it and how oxytocin works like morphine and can help you experience less pain and discomfort. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm really passionate about, um, I get to guest speak sometimes at um, a local university and sharing with the nursing students my goal is really to help them see like before they're in the birth room all the time of what it could look like and how important it is to protect that oxytocin production and how there really is this special design to how the body works. And I think a lot of times because of fear, we circumvent that and we think, Oh man, like this is like, we're missing out on a richness that's there because of fear that's been perpetuated through, you know, every movie you see birth looks horrible Mm -hmm. and scary and terrifying every, you know, as soon as you get a pregnant belly, it's like this, you know, like flashing neon sign that says, give me unsolicited advice, you know? So every lady in the grocery store has told you her horrible birth story that lasted Mm -hmm. 59 hours. And, (laughs) you know, like there, there aren't people that saying like, no birth is amazing. And it's wonderful, right. and I would do it over and over and over again. And so really wanting to help people understand that there is this element of, like, sacredness to the experience, and it's not just, like, a clinical medical thing. Even in a C-section, that requires medical mm-hmm. assistance. Like, you're still bringing your baby into the world, and, like, so much reverence needs to be around that. Yeah. I know for a lot of physical therapists, too, like, even talking about informed consent, even with C-sections, like educating women on what you can ask for, what you can request during your C-section. Like you don't just have to do everything they tell you. You can ask questions and there's options available to you and making it known, like educating women on the options that they have so that they can then make an informed decision. Mm-hmm. Like that's a big gap across the board in our medical system, unfortunately. Yeah. But thankful for people like you who are, doing the hard work to just educate. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about the different kinds of courses that you offer through Kindred? You talked about it a little bit earlier, mm-hmm. um, but can you just share a little bit about what those look like and the different options that people can choose from, things like that? Yeah. All of our courses are handwritten. We, we don't license or use anyone else's curriculum. And that really came from this desire to fill in the gaps. Um, And so the childbirth education course, it's going to cover diet, nutrition, exercise, pre-pregnancy, during pregnancy. Like, I feel like everyone should take like a birth class when they get married. Like, (laughs) like, here's how to prepare your body. Just in case. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so how how to nourish and take care of your body during pregnancy while you're breastfeeding. Um, We cover lots of like those early ailments of morning sickness and backaches and things like that. Mm -hmm. And then, um, so it's broken up into three sessions and it has, um, we cover all the medical, um, side of things. Um, we have, um, like any of the like typical procedures and what you can and can't say no to. 
We cover hormones, preparing for childbirth. I cover postpartum a little bit and breastfeeding a little bit in the childbirth education, mm-hmm. um, just to kind of give people like a launch pad into resources. And that's that's really what we design our classes to be as a launch pad. We don't mm-hmm. ever claim to say, you know, take our class and you'll be ready. You know, it's going to equip you to give birth. Like it's not. Like mm-hmm. if you don't do anything with the information, if you don't learn how to relax and process your fears and things like that, then the tools we give you are just going to be tools in a basket. Like you really have to learn Mm -hmm. how to use and implement them. And so we really, we go really wide and like two inches deep. And, um, we did over COVID, we put all of our classes in online format and they're done so that they can be just easy bite-sized bits that you can fit in when you can, um, really nice, easy check boxes so you can track your progress and know where you're at. Um, we also provide um, VBAC courses, so vaginal birth after cesarean. Um, I created that course about six years ago when um, I would get questions about it, and there was no one really teaching it um, in person locally in our area. And I thought, man, like, really the way to have a vaginal birth after a C-section is the same way to have a vaginal birth before a C-section, but there's this added layer of fear and mm-hmm. just some dogma that's there with, you know, um, what, what could happen, um, to your mm-hmm. uterus because you've already had a C-section. So that class yeah. really is designed to help people move past, um, fear and be able to walk confidently into the birth that they've, um, planned that they've chosen to follow. Um, so I do still recommend if people take that class, they also take the childbirth education class because that's going to be much more, um, in depth on, you know, Mm. the stages of labor and things like that. And then, um, we're, we're constantly working on like adding classes and doing things. And so we have a lot of ideas, but currently we have, um, two breastfeeding classes. So we have a returning to work class, uh, for moms who are pumping and trying to figure out like, how do I know how much to store? How do I store it? Um, how often do I need to pump? What are my rights in the workplace when it comes to pumping? Mm. Um, and then we have a great, um, small class on just the, the nutritional benefits of breastfeeding that really our goal is to help, um, moms be confident in breastfeeding. And, um, sometimes when we don't know how amazing breast milk is, then it can be easy to like want to give up on our plan. And so really yeah. wanting to help moms feel confident and understand how amazing breast milk is. And then we have a postpartum um, kind of like intro course, but like basically three ways to a more restful postpartum. And it's um, Natalie does a great job of just really laying out all the options that we have um, at our disposal that you would be surprised you could create such a relaxing environment without costing very much money at all. Mm-hmm. I love that. I feel like most of your courses are so practical, which is so needed because yeah. I, I feel like for a lot of, especially women who haven't been pregnant before, it's their first pregnancy. Like a lot of these things feel like common sense, but then when it's actually you and it's time to figure it out, you're like, where, where do you look? And there's so much information out there. Um, so I so appreciate the practicality of that. Yeah. Um, so good. What kinds of, or actually, so you said that you were getting a little bit burnt out with working like with patients in person um are you still training or caring for pregnant women and doing doula stuff in person or are you solely online with kindred um 
do you still work with people? And if so, what does that look like? How many times do they meet with you? What does their care prior look like? Yeah, my um, schedule and availability for taking doula clients is really small at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. We homeschool. I have three children. We just started sixth grade. So I'm like, whew, I'm like, it counts now. Um, yes. <laughs> so um, if I do see a client in person, um, I have them take my childbirth education course, which could either be online or in person. And um, then I usually meet with them once they've completed the course. We'll meet up and we'll just really discuss. And I offer, even for my online courses, I think one of the things that make us unique is a lot of times you can purchase an online course and then you just, you know, can forget about it and you finish it and you're like, now what? So we offer unlimited email support. So if you're in the middle of the class and you're like, oh, I really want to ask a question like you would in person, then you can email us and we will get back to you within a couple days and answer your question. And we want to be able, you to be able to dialogue some of those things that you're learning. And so... Um, and then I'll even offer for those who complete the class, I'll hop on a quick zoom session with them and just help them kind of debrief what they've learned and like help them create a plan moving forward. So that way the information they're receiving is really practical and useful. Um, so I think that's one of the things that make us really unique compared to other online classes. And so, um, yeah. And then I'm usually there for the birth on average about Mm -hmm. eight hours. And then, um, I usually do one postpartum follow-up visit and then ideally I would send them out to Natalie for, (laughs) um, special postpartum care. Yeah. Yeah. Do you work in all settings, hospital, home birth, birth center, or do you kind of just stick with one? I think over time I kind of developed a niche of natural birth in a hospital setting. Um, okay. But I have grown quite tired of being in the hospital yeah. <laughs> over the last few years, so mm. I can't imagine why. Um, so I, um, I find that I am more refreshed after a home birth or a birth center birth mm. than a hospital birth. It definitely requires kind of two different skill sets. Um, I feel like the hospital birth, my mind is always and my eyes are always searching and looking for what's going on and having to be much more of an advocate for the plan that my client has. Um, whereas a home birth or birth center birth, I feel like it's much easier to, to kind of relax my mind and know that like mm. my client's wishes are going to be considered. Um, so yeah, I, yeah. I prefer yeah. home birth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I can imagine it looks very different, especially with like the, the people who are involved in each of those settings. So yeah, I feel like even for the mom, sometimes home births can be a little bit more, you know, they're able to be more present and engaged with what's happening yeah. versus a hospital setting. Yeah. Um, so breastfeeding is a big part of Kindred. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the importance of breastfeeding and what are some common myths surrounding breastfeeding that Kindred helps to dispel? Yeah, I wish we would have gotten all three of us on a call. That would have uh, yeah. <laughs> that would have been better. I hope I hope Megan's pleased with my answers. But um, <laughs> I think one of the biggest things is, and sometimes I think it's kind of just self-induced, is that we hear the word or the idea that like it's natural, like breastfeeding is natural, mm-hmm. and so we associate natural with easy. And so I think a lot of times moms get really discouraged because it's not easy. And, you know, whether it's a tongue tie, a nipple inversion, or baby's really drowsy from a C-section, or 
which, and then it takes longer for, you know, your mature milk to come in. And, um, I think we think like this, everyone's supposed to be able to breastfeed and I can't do it. And so I think there's just kind of this myth that it's natural. So it's easy. Um, I think another one is that your, some people are either give up on breastfeeding or quick to give formula because they don't understand the composition of their milk. And so they think, oh, my milk didn't come in. And really you start producing milk like several weeks before you go into labor, you have colostrum, which is super calorie rich, very nutrient dense. Mm -hmm. And you you have that at your baby's disposal and their tummy is like the size of a teaspoon, so tiny. And they actually come out fully nourished. They've been living on the placenta, like they have all the nutrients in me. <laughs> like breastfeeding in those first early hours isn't for nutrients. Like it's for bonding, it's for helping your body recognize hormonally that you've given birth. And it sends those signals um, that says, okay, like we can start contracting that uterus, shrink back to size, baby's out, and we're good to go. And so there's a lot more that goes into breastfeeding than just like, I need to feed my baby. And so I think sometimes women will get discouraged if baby's not latching right away or it takes a couple days to figure it out. But that colostrum really is so sufficient, even if you're just hand expressing to your finger and getting that in baby's mouth, like your baby's going to be okay. Um, And so, but I think it, again, it goes back to that like misunderstanding of what, what it is that like our bodies are able to do in that sacred process. And, Mm. and that's kind of our hope as kindred is that we, our mission really is to like equip and inspire, inspire people to live naturally and fully so they can give Mm. back to their communities. And so all of our classes, we always encourage when they're in person for people to bring not only their partner or husband, but whatever support persons in their life. Like if it's If grandma's going to be carrying postpartum or sister or whoever, we really want everyone to be educated and informed so they can help dispel those myths because it's so easy in the thick of it when you're exhausted and leaking and bleeding and hurting and you can't sit right and you're so tired to like believe what's true. Like you panic, you know? And so you really need a a team of support people who, who know what's true and real to really help reinforce that. Alrighty, so you mentioned a little bit earlier that you offer a course on VBACs, um, and you, you talked about it a little bit already, but um, can you tell us a little bit more about some myths and fears surrounding VBACs and how you go about addressing this with your clients, and should there be so much fear surrounding that? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, VBACs actually used to be pretty routine up until the late 80s. And then there was a actual faulty study that was published that basically the way that it was worded made it seem like it was really risky. And so what ACOG, so the American College of Obstetrician and Gynecology, that board decided is that a um, surgeon should be available at all um, births for a VBAC. Mm -hmm. And what that ended up being was that then you know, you see the doctor for, you know, the last few minutes of pushing. And so what ended up happening is that they would, um, these doctors and surgeons would have to stay at the hospital this whole entire time while mom's laboring while they're not being needed. 
And it actually mm-hmm. became more efficient to provide a C-section for those moms so doctors didn't have to wait around. When mm-hmm. all that really meant was that a surgeon needs to be available, not that they needed to be there the entire birth. Um, mm-hmm. And so... Then that kind of tradition started to creep in and that convenience um, started to become a priority. Efficiency is always a priority in a business. Mm -hmm. And so the hospital is a business. And, you know, and some of that is, I think, to a fault in the way that the system is structured is you take a trained surgeon who can do basically a live autopsy and you tell him or her to sit there and just watch this mom give birth on her own because she's totally capable and her body can handle it. Mm. Like that's, and you know, I've seen an emergency C-section, like they can get that baby out in minutes. Yeah. Like almost feels like seconds. Like it's amazing, amazing the technology and the ability we have to do that. But I think if OBs could not perform surgery and we just had surgeons and we had, you know, midwives or OBs that can't perform surgery, I think we'd see a much lower C-section rate because Hmm. then the surgeon is getting to do what they're gifted and skilled in when they're needed and not being asked to put on this hat and to play this other role, um, which could be performed by someone else who's, you know, just going to attend the birth. And so I think um, it just kind of became routine. And so a lot of times I've talked to so many women who – especially like a few generations ahead of me who've had C-sections, um, multiple because they were told, um, they were just told, oh, you've had a C-section, you you have to have another one. Like they didn't even yeah. know the term VBAC or understand that at all. And um, now that could even be an option. It was just like basically you have a C-section and that cuts out all your options. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think some of it is, the fear is, I think the biggest fear about having a VBAC is they say, oh, your uterus could rupture. And when you hear, I mean, what do you think of when you hear the sound rupture, like, or the word? Blood and trauma and not, not good. Right. <laughs> like, in, 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 think of, like, if you think of a water an balloon explosion. rupturing, what do you think of? Yeah. Like, it's like an, an explosion. An explosion. Like going everywhere. Yes. My <laughs> uterus is going to explode. Like, mm-hmm. that's actually not what that means. Usually what it is, is that a small part of your, like, scar where your incision was, has opened up. And most of the time, that that can cause, like, internal bleeding and things like that. Most of the time, those things can be caught right away. Mm-hmm. And less than 1% of women who are having a VBAC will have a uterine rupture. No. Wow a uterine tear, like, or a uterine fissure, like that, all of those words sound so much better than rupture, you know? Right. So, and then they even say, so that's someone who goes into labor naturally, less than 1%. It's like 0.5%. And then if you get induced, your risk of uterine rupture goes up to 0.7%. So still less than 1% chance. Now we know that there's a lot of risk involved in any surgery. Um, there's risk of secondary infection. Like there's a lot of risk that goes into surgery in general. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, you think a C-section, you know, I've seen them be quick and efficient, but it's still major abdominal surgery. Like they're going through your entire right. abdominal wall. It's, um, it's very hard physically to recover from a C-section. 
And a lot of times over 30% of women say they experience long term trouble from their C-section. And so I think I like to look at, you know, problems statistically, mathematically. I think it really just makes sense. Like if someone were to say to me, going through door number one, 1% chance going th- of something catastrophic happening, going through door number two, 15 to 30% chance of something catastrophic happening. Like my, like if I don't know what the situation is, like my knee jerk logical reaction is to go through the door with 1%, right. but it's not presented to people in that way. The facts aren't shown mm-hmm. that. Um, and I think it's a lack of training and knowledge and understanding in that. And I think sometimes the people in the medical industry will do things that will, they're attempting to make themselves um, feel more comfortable. So if they're uncomfortable in a situation, I've had clients who've been pressured into being induced and then eventually get an epidural and are later talking to the nurse and they say, well, you know, like, why did, why did I get induced? Like you told me my baby was having dips and I had to be monitored and I was off the monitor for four hours. Like what's happening? And they're like, well, we're just in, we're just like trained to induce at 39 weeks. Mm. Like you made her uncomfortable. So she induced you. (laughs) And I don't think people necessarily know that's what they're doing. Um, I think, you know, you, you do it, you, you lean on your, you know, highest level of training. And if that's people's highest level of training, then you're going to induce everyone at 39 weeks, whether or not their body needs it. And so I think there should not be fear around VBACs. It's actually safer to have a VBAC than it is to have a C-section. And there are necessary reasons for a C-section. I'm definitely not (laughs) saying like that, like I'm grateful for that technology and there's even, you know, emergent reasons for a C-section. But for the most part, um, our bodies are actually designed to do that. A lot of times doctors will say, so you'll have a a C-section and then you'll go back, you know, six weeks for a follow-up and they'll say, well, you, this is why you had to have a C-section. I'm examining you for a pap smear and your pelvis is really small. Well, when you're in labor, your pelvic floor expands, as I'm sure you know, up to 30%. (laughs) And so, and your pelvis is the smallest when you're lying on your back. And Mm -hmm. so people think, well, my body is just too small to have a baby. So I'm going to have to have a C-section. And that's not true. I've seen very small people push out very big babies. (laughs) Yeah. It's possible. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's... I mean, you touched on so much of it. Like, I didn't know a lot of that information, and I'm a provider. And so I feel like so much more education just needs to happen around it because, I mean, I think a lot of it goes back to culture and the way things have been done for so long. Um, And I think you you hit the nail on the head with convenience and efficiency. That's just a big thing that we see. Um, And it, again, goes back to just creating or to be a more medical and clinical thing than it really was ever designed to be. Mm-hmm. So, um, we're about out of time, but I wanted to just kind of wrap up with asking you one last question. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say to a mom who's pregnant, struggling to sort through all the information being thrown at her, stuff is popping up on Instagram all the time because they listen, mm-hmm. and um, she's just feeling overwhelmed about doing all the right things to have a successful birth? What would you say to her? Yeah, that's really hard. And I very, I empathize so much. I mean, social media wasn't as huge when I first had my 
first, but by the time I had my third, there was so much out there and it can feel very overwhelming. And so the first thing I would say is that being overwhelmed isn't necessarily a bad thing. And so retraining our mind to understand that whenever we're feeling overwhelmed, it's actually a sign that we're about to grow. Now we don't want to live in overwhelm, but I think a lot of what happens is a lot of times we are trying to grow on our own and we're not getting input um, and in growing in a community with other women, with family members. And so I think having a, a place where you can process all your thoughts and ideas and, and what you want to do is really helpful. And honestly, finding a provider that's not just tolerant of what you want to do, but is actually friendly and towards your goals and really wants you to have the birth you want to have. Um, and I talk a lot about that in my classes, especially the VBAC class of like how to tell if you're find a to- like a VBAC tolerant provider versus a VBAC friendly provider. And you can start to see the way they act and the things they say and how they respond to you if your provider really is on board. And so I would say one is, is trust your gut um, and just take it slow. Like you don't need to learn everything all at once. Um, and what I teach in my classes is creating a list of deal breakers. So there's so much information out there. There's so many things that could take place before labor at your appointments, during labor, postpartum, and really just find a few things that really you feel like are resonating with you that are kind of tugging on your heartstring and learn a lot about that and really create your resolve around those things. And then just learn to let everything else go. Um, especially in a hospital setting, it's not very likely that all 107 of your wishes would be accommodated. Um, but really just try and find those like 10 things that are like, these are the most important things to me in birth. And so I'm really going to focus learning about those things and really, you know, solidifying that and then helping your support team understand why those things are important to you. So good. I love that. Um, Christian, thanks so much just for sharing your wisdom and your knowledge. You're doing such important work, and I know that I'm excited to work with you someday. I just feel like you have so much knowledge to give and just are really empowering and educating and that's priceless. So really thankful for you and all that you're doing. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, Before we go, can you just let our listeners know if they wanted to find you, how could they do that? Yeah, so any birth professionals looking for business help or coaching, mentorship, or training, they can find us at kindredcollaborative.com. And then for our families and pregnant mamas, they can find us at kindredbirthingcollaborative.com. Perfect. Well, again, thanks so much, Christian, um, for taking the time to chat with me today. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. I hope you felt encouraged and that you learned something new. If you've been enjoying listening to Project Pelvic Health, would you mind just taking a minute to rate and review as well as maybe share it on your social media and subscribe to make it a little bit easier for other mamas to find us? We would so appreciate that. We'll see you next time on Project Pelvic Health.